0: Welcome to the second episode of the Mike Barner Show. We are actually live. We had all these tests. I've been running tests nonstop the past couple days. It seems like it finally works. I hope you guys can hear me. Let me know in the live chat. If you guys can hear me, I have it up here. But we have a pretty fun show today. Obviously, there's actually been some news in the NHL world regarding Patrick Kane. We got a couple questions to get into. We're going to be doing my top 10 trade board. Top 10 trade board in terms of like NHL star players that actually have the possibility to getting traded. I I know like most likely to is probably like bottom sixers on Chicago and uh, San Jose because their teams would be tanking all that. But we're looking at some of the biggest stars that actually have a real chance to be traded in that their teams almost have to trade them if they're not in a good playoff position. But without further ado, let's get into the first question. Obviously, the first question is about Patrick Kane potentially being interested in the Detroit Red Wings. We got this from Trent. Hello, Mike. There was a report recently that Patrick Kane has interest in joining the Red Wings. and this would be a great move for them to contend in the Atlantic as long as it's a cheap deal. And it's a pretty interesting topic because obviously if you've been following me for a while, I'm not that big on the Iser plan. I don't think he's a bad GM. I don't think Detroit has a bad future, but I'm not as hyped on it as others. And obviously Patrick Kane, I think he is very overrated at this point. But when looking at Patrick Kane, I think it is undeniable that although the... Jay Fresh charts, the Rampum charts, which I do think are very useful. I think we can all agree that they do underrate Patrick Kane a lot. They have him in like the bottom 5% of players, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. He is still no doubt an elite offensive playmaker. The problem is, do I think it's a good fit for the Detroit Red Wings? I think Patrick Kane is a great scoop under $2.5 million for an actual contender, a team that's actually needs scoring depth, that can bring him in for a year, then just let him go. Basically, just do a one-year rent, your trade deadline rental to start the season with the Patrick Kane. I don't love it for Detroit, though. I don't think that this is that good of a move. First off, why they would do this. Let's look into why they would do this. Let's look into the positives. Let's try to be a little bit positive here. Obviously, the main reason why, what makes the most sense with Patrick Kane is they just traded for Alex DeBrinkett. When you look at Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett, Alex DeBrinkett's without a doubt a better player with Patrick Kane. The Brinkhead has 29 goals, 39 assists in 87 games with a minus 35 in the 87 games that he's played without Patrick Kane. That is a 29 goal pace, 39 assists, 68 point pace on the season. Solid player, but nothing special. But when you look at him with Kane, 130 goals, 123 assists, plus minus of only 16. And mind you, those Blackhawk teams weren't very good in 281 games in the four or five years that he played for him, that pace is 38 goals, 36 assists for 74 points over 82 games. So obviously, the main thing with this, you would definitely partner Patrick Kane with Alex DeBrinkett. You're not bringing in Patrick Kane to play in your middle six with like JT Comfort. You're going to put him with Alex DeBrinkett, help out Alex DeBrinkett. And I think that combo would work. But again, going back to do I think Detroit bringing in Patrick Kane makes them a playoff team? No. And when you look at Patrick Kane, he would just be taking away minutes from some of your young guys. I think the Brinkett-Kane combo would work. But at this point, Alex DeBrinket, Brinkett, if you go out and trade for him, I know they got him for pretty cheap, but you go out and trade for him, you give him almost an $8 million deal. He shouldn't need Patrick Kane. To produce at a high level, Dylan, they have Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin's their franchise center. Dylan Larkin should be able to turn Alex DeBrinket into a forty-goal player, or else Alex DeBrinket isn't going to be worth the 7.75, 7.875, I think, million that he signed for. So, I, I don't like the logic of bringing in Kane to unlock DeBrinket because first off, Kane isn't the same player as two years ago when him and Alex Brinkett were absolutely cooking. That's one thing. And two. Yeah, Kane keeps on aging, so yeah, maybe one season, Dabrinkit goes off with Kane, but you can't keep on doing that. Kane's going to be 35 this season. It's not a long-term play. It's a one-year fix. It's a one-year, oh, maybe we can be a little bit competitive in the Atlantic if we get a Patrick Kane, because I think, without a doubt, moving out one of their third or fourth liners for Patrick Kane, that's obviously going to improve your team by three to four points, I'd say. But right now I have the Red Wings as like a mid to high 80 point team. I don't think bringing in Patrick Kane at this stage in his career makes them an actual threat. As, as that question said, actually contend in the East. Even with Patrick Kane, I'm taking Toronto, Florida, Tampa, Ottawa, Buffalo, still over Detroit. If Detroit made an actual high level impact trade and got another star or like a number two defenseman for Cider. Well, Wallman's pretty good, but like another stud defenseman, then I could be on board for Detroit, maybe making that push, then going out and trading for a Patrick Kane. But it's pretty evident right now that they're not in an actual spot to contend in the East. And also when looking at a Patrick Kane, my problem with this is I think they would obviously put Patrick Kane on that top line with Alex Debrinkett. Patrick Kane on the right, DeBrinkett on the left, like they did in Chicago. Look at that top left, that number one left winger. I think if Lucas Raymond, Lucas Raymond should get the opportunity, if he's gonna be your eventual franchise winger like like we thought a year ago when he put up 57 points, he only put up 40, 45 this most recent year. You need to let him go wild on that top line. Play as much minutes as, as many minutes as possible. Play on that top power play. And if Patrick Kane comes in, again, I don't think you're bringing in Patrick Kane just for him to not play with the brinket. Just for Imagine Patrick Kane playing with David Perron and JT Comfort. No, if you're bringing in Patrick Kane, you're playing him with your best offensive players so they could absolutely pop. So when looking at Lucas Raymond, a guy that did have a pretty disappointing sophomore year. His offensive play driving absolutely tanked. His shooting was about the same. Defense, he's not very good defensively. But when looking at Lucas Raymond, and also Patrick Kane would probably bump out one of their other young guys, so I don't like that as a long-term play. Just bringing in Kane for a year for you to maybe go put up 90, 92 points at best. Best case scenario is that they make the last wild card spot in the East and then lose to Toronto or the hurricanes or the New Jersey devils. I just don't like them sh- thinking this short term for a team. That's not yet contending. You look at in Ottawa getting a Vladimir Tarasenko. Most of their young players or are, are at the level that they're now in their prime. That's not really the case with Detroit. Cider's not at prime cider yet. Uh, Raymond's obviously not elite guys like Edmondson Casper. They're not there yet. So I don't like this win now move Ottawa. You already have Kachuk, Stutzla, Batherson, Norris, Chikrin, uh, Sanderson, Chabot. They're all ready to go. So bringing in a Tarasenko, bringing in a Claude Giroux, it makes sense. Their time is now Detroit. I still think another two years, then maybe you go out and get those veterans, get those Michigan older guys that want to come play for you. So I don't really like the fit of Kane right now, but moving on the next question. Got a question about Connor Bedard. One of the main storylines this year will obviously be Bedard's rookie year. Do you think we're putting too much pressure on him comparing to C- him to Sid or McDavid and what rookie year/career would we would he have to have in order to live up to the hype from Matt Matt Mag 1013. So, Connor Bedard, in terms of a rookie year, I, I've been pretty pretty straightforward with this. I don't think he's going to have a McDavid-Crosby point-per-game over a point-per-game. Crosby was like 100 points. I don't think he's going to be that good just because Chicago Blackhawks are not that good of a team. If he went to if he went to Columbus and had Goudreau and Linea right off the rip, I think we could have been talking about legitimately 90 points, him putting up 40 goals and 50 assists, because he'd be playing with another top-10 winger and a top-15 right winger in Linea. That would have been ideal, but... Comparing him to McDavid, who walked into the league, the Edmonton Oilers weren't that good of a team, but he had, uh, but he had. Sorry, I was just looking for a chat for a second. But uh, McDavid had Taylor Hall, 24 years old, putting up mid 60s points. Eberle was a very good top six forward, 55 to 60 points. Seidel McDavid's rookie year, had 50 points in 70 games. Rnh was pretty solid. McDavid had pieces, so he was able to put up a point per game. And even him, it was like 18 goals, 40 assists in 45 games, so it was very assist heavy. Connor Bedard has Taylor Hall, but 32 year old Taylor Hall, it's kind of washed up. He has Corey Perry. He has Lucas Reichel, who I think will be a stud, but probably not next year. Number one defenseman, Seth Jones. Number two is like Connor Murphy. So, Chicago, in terms of his rookie year, I think it's unfair to assume that he's going to put up. North of 75 points, but I think as long as he goes, as long as he hits 60, maybe 65, I'm still 1000% on board, 1000%, he's generational, 60 to 65. If we start getting to 50, 55, even on that bad of a team, I'd start to have some worries because you look at it. Even a Brady Kachuk walked into the league, had 45 points in 71 games. Nico Heischer his rookie year. He did play with Taylor Hall, Hart Taylor Hall. But Nico Heischer had 52 points in his rookie year in 82 games. So as long as as long as long Bedard gets that 60-point mark, you you really can't judge him. You just got to see what he does then the following year. I think for him, it should be like 65 points, then 90, then like 100-plus. I don't think he's going to be like McDavid, win a Hart Trophy in his second year because... Blackhawks have many more years of rebuilding remaining, but I think regarding his rookie season, yes, 30 goals, 30 to 35 assists, that would be a successful year on one of the worst teams in the entire league. As for career, this might be bold, but uh, if we think that he's a generational talent, well, actually, no, let, let me back this up. In terms of the hype, me talking about Bedard with his hype, I think it is warranted. You look at it, not a lot of players have been called generational. It's it's not that big of a list. I know people have recently been saying generational gets tossed around. In my opinion, it's only these four, Lindros and maybe Ovi. I think Ovi, the narrative has kind of been rewritten. He was a fantastic prospect, but it was definitely even in his draft class, they were talking about the following year with Crosby. And it, it, you can't really be generational if <laughs> you're a year apart. But, uh, so when you look at it, the generational talents, they don't bust. They really don't bust. All, all four of those guys are probably the four most talented players of all time. So in terms of Bedard being labeled this, and rightfully so, you look, at his, you look at his NHL-E compared to other leagues, this stat is they compare like the WHL, OHL to the NHL, how many points you put up and then project you across. He had the same projections basically as McDavid in his draft year minus one and in his draft year. And the only other guys to have this 99% is Matthews, Hughes, Tavares, Kessel, Kane, and Crosby. Ovechkin didn't even have it. Malkin didn't even have it. So when you look at that list, the worst player on that list is Phil Kessel who has 992 points. Second worst is Tavares or Hughes. Tavares, two-time cart finalist. Jack Hughes has put up 99 points at 21 years old. So in terms of the hype, I think it is warranted because he, he has been so good at the junior level. And when you look at it, not only... Do we need him to be a good individual player for the sake of the Blackhawks, sake of all that? The league as a whole, there's a lot riding on Connor Bedard in terms of being that next face of the league. Because you look at a Conor McDavid, even though he is one of the most boring players off the ice, he still is the biggest draw in the entire league. So the hype is not only just him on the ice. He's expected to be that next guy to go from Crosby to McDavid to Bedard. So for the sake of the league, they kind of do need Bedard to pan out. So I don't think the hype... I think the hype is valid. I mean, you only have these kind of talents once every 10 years, and based on the production that he had at the Junior League, he should be the best player in the league by age 25, 26, unless McDavid age is absolutely fantastic. In terms of a career perspective, already did rookie year, already said that the hype is justified. In terms of a career perspective, this also might sound insane, but I think he needs to have like a Guy LaFleur or Yarmir Yager type of career to live up to the hype. I don't think that you can compare him. I don't think you can say he has to be one of these guys to live up to the hype. I think that is ridiculous to assume, considering Gretzky's the greatest player of all time right now, Lemieux's second, Crosby's fifth or sixth, in my opinion. McDavid's already top 15, easily going to finish top five. I think that is ridiculous. To compare, to put the expectations on that level is ridiculous. But I do think you look at a Guy Lafleur, you look at this resume, three time Ross, two time Hart, three time Pearson, five time Cup's not gonna happen, let's be honest. Just doesn't happen in the modern NHL. But from, pure, uh, from a pure individual standpoint, I think the bar is set for Bedard to be a multi time Hart winner. I think that's the expectation, as ridiculous as that might sound. And he might not win three Hearts or three Rosses, but a combined three Rosses or Rockets three or four of those. I think that is the ball. You look at him, Yarmir Yager, three Pearson. So three years, he was voted as the best, most outstanding player in the entire league. Only one heart, but three, three Pearsons is means that he probably should have won a heart in one of those years, as well as five art Rosses. I think that is kind of the resume that you got to expect from Connor Bedard. I think you need to expect two Stanley cups, a combined Three either Rosses or Rocket Richards lead the league in either goals and assists, goals or points three years, and about fourteen hundred career points, fifteen hundred career points. I don't think that's that ridiculous. If he comes short of that, if he has the career of a Joe Sakic, a Bobby Clark, a Steve Iserman, I don't think that's like a massive disappointment. But if he does just win one heart, not the consensus best player in the league in his prime. Wins two cups as the best player. That would be a good career, but I think for a generational talent, having the career of Joe Sackick is pretty disappointing. Eric Lindros, obviously injuries affected him, but I think, you, I think we all agree that that career was kind of disappointing. I know it never really fully happened because of those injuries. He won the one heart, then he started to get hurt, but looking back on it, it's kind of disappointing. So for Connor Bedard, yeah, I think his expectations are he needs to be the best player in the league for like a five-year period Pretty consensusly, he needs to win three hearts or Art Rosses. No, Rockets are Art Rosses. Wins at least two hearts, two Pearsons, and probably two Stanley Cups. I know it's a team award, but when you are one of these generational talents, when you are expected to be an all-time legend, Cups do matter. But moving on, and Byfield question. I'm an LA Kings fan, and I had high hopes for Byfield, and he has not delivered. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yes, the injuries have played a big part but do you think he'll break, break out upcoming or the season after? From Petter. I think it's pronounced Petter. But yeah, Quinn Byfield. Um, it hasn't been pretty. He has eight goals, 25 assists for 33 points in 99 career games. That's 27-point pace. That's, that's not going to cut it. This, this year he had 22 points in, I believe, 51 games. Slight improvement, but still not nearly where it has to be. Eight goals in 99 games. That's absolutely ridiculous. But when you look at Quinn Byfield, the one thing that I would say that is pro him is he is a 6'5 beast. These 6'5 taller guys, they do sometimes take some time to develop. Victor Hedman... Didn't break 26 points in his career until he was 23 years old. Byfield's only 21. Tage Thompson obviously didn't break out with that 38-goal season until he was 23 years old. He was basically a bottom sixer before then. Other guys like Blake Wheeler. Blake Wheeler's 6'5". He didn't even play in the NHL until he was 22. Meanwhile, he was a top-five pick. And even when he did, he didn't break six. he didn't break 45 points until he was 24 years old. So some of these old guys... Obviously, there are ex- exceptions. Patrick Laine scored 36 goals in 72 games, in his in 73 games in his rookie year. So there are guys that are tall and break out immediately. But I do think Byfield does kind of have the benefit of the doubt. There is... Maybe a reason why he hasn't put it together because taller guys, there is more of a development curve for them. You look at a guy like Alexi Lafreniere, not to shit on the devil or the Rangers, but he should have been great right off the rip. We expected him to be great, Six, six foot, six one, power forward, dominated the QMJHL. He was expected to walk in, be 45 to 50 points, then 60 to 65, and by his third year, be 90 points. and Byfield, obviously there was expectations. He was the goddamn second overall pick. But I think we all agreed, the raw tools are what made him second overall. It wasn't that he was the most dominant, dominant player at the Junior League. He was definitely good for the Sudbury Wolves in his rookie year. But he, he, it, it, you saw the potential there to eventually break out. He had, all, he had the tools. He hadn't fully formed the toolbox, if that makes sense. So when you look at and Byfield, I, I'm not ready to write him off like an Alexi Lafreniere. And I think Alexi Lafreniere is going to be a decent player but I just don't think he has a next level. I think if Quinn and Byfield puts it together, he still can be something really special. And when you look at Byfield this year, the main thing that sticks out is his finishing was atrocious. He's pretty solid defensively, in part because he plays with Kopitar and Kempe. Offensively, okay play driver. His finishing is just goddamn horrendous, dude. It's horrendous. Last year, in terms of forwards playing over 740 minutes, he, he rarely shot the puck. He had 200. He was 252nd out of 333 guys in terms of shot uh, shot attempts on goal per 60. He was behind guys like Sam Lafferty and Austin Watson. He he needs to be more aggressive, especially when he can when he plays on that Kopitar and Kempe line. He needs to be more aggressive this year. He only shot at I think like three or four percent. I think he is gonna have some more luck this year. I don't think he's gonna snipe at like a fifteen percent clip, but I think it is possible that he could get up in the twenty goals, and they're honestly gonna need it. When you look at the team, they they're losing thirty-seven goals from Ayafalo and Velarde this year. Obviously, PLD is gonna give you like twenty-seven to thirty probably, but Quinn Byfield really needs to step up, and they're putting him in a massive role. Quinn Byfield is expected to be on the first line as a winger, which makes sense. He He can't play fourth-line center if you want him to develop. He's no longer a center. I I think we can all agree on that. At this point, let me take you some of my coffee. At this point, he's a left wing. He's going to be a left wing going forward. Maybe once Kopitar hangs it up, he can move back to center. But he's going to have a great opportunity. Last year... He mainly played with Kopitar and Kempe. They were a really effective line. I know he didn't put up a ton of points, but they had a 55.9% expected goals percentage. Kopitar is obviously a fantastic playmaker, one of the best two-way centers in the entire league. Kempe might be the most underrated goal scorer in the league, 35 goals last year, 41 this year. So I think if he can't break out on this line this year and actually get offensively aggressive, be willing to crash the net, shoot pucks on net, if he can't break out on this line given this opportunity... I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Again, he is a taller guy, so maybe it will take till he's 22, 23. But he's being thrusted in a massive role. And in order for the LA Kings to be a legit team, because they did lose some depth this year, some forward depth, he's going to have to put up, I think a successful season for him would be 15 goals, 25 assists for 40 points. He should put up more because he is on that top line. But if he can get... As long as he gets to like thirty-five points, I think the future he, he he can still develop. If he goes below thirty-five on that first line, I think he's done. And, and he did show flashes at times last year. I think there was a stretch where he put up seventeen points in twenty-seven games. Granted, I think that was like three goals and fourteen assists. But he has shown flashes. He just needs to be more consistent and more confident in his game. And I think he will develop into a pretty solid player. But moving on, moving on, we are going into my trade board now. These are these are my top ten. Major names that I think have a real shot to be traded. I think the teams are going to have to trade them if they are not in a playoff spot come the trade deadline. So let's go through it right now. First off, you know, I had to have him. I have him at number 10. I'm probably going to put him in the, the thumbnail of this clip just so like I get more clicks. But we got William Nylander. William Nylander, he's obviously a free agent next summer. Unrestricted free agent. He has one year left at $6.9 million, which is kind of tough. That, that's going to be a tough sell to trade him because he's So, so much surplus value right now, but I think if the Leafs are struggling around the deadline, and by struggling, I mean like in the second divisional or like third divisional spot, not like out of the playoffs, I don't think that's going to happen, but if they are struggling a little bit and William Nylander still no extension, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I could see the Leafs maybe flipping him for a solid middle six forward and a second pair of defensemen that have some term left on their contract as well as a prospect or a first-round pick that they can later flip. I think that might be a pretty decent deal for them. Again, if they're going to lose William Nylander for nothing, if they can get some depth pieces back, not depth pieces, solid role pieces that are signed for cheap long-term if a team wants a star like Nylander to go on a run. So I think William Nylander, it's not likely, but it's definitely possible. Moving on. We got Carter Hart. Carter Hart's a weird one, in my opinion, because the Philadelphia Flyers, when you look at them, yes, they have three, three more years of a rebuild, I'd say. And Carter Hart is owed a contract after this year. He's a restricted free agent. It, it, it's very weird and it's a very tricky situation because they do actually have this decent. They do actually have this decent Russian goalie, Alexei Kolosov, that had a pretty good 21 year old season in the KHL. He might be the next future goalie. But are you willing to bank on that and are you willing to get rid of a twenty-five year old? He turned twenty-five like three weeks ago. He's still so young. He's still so goddamn young that that like he he, he can you can give him that contract, he can last the rebuild. It would suck. He might like actually win you some games and hurt your rebuild. But by the time you come out of the rebuild, you might only be 28, 29 years old. And with the cap going up, that contract you give him might be a pretty solid contract. He's not like another goalie. We're going to look at on this list that you guys might see coming where the guy is old. And if that team's going to enter a retool rebuild, they kind of got to trade him. Carter Hart's weird because goalies really don't hit their prime until 25, 26, 27, arguably with like Shusterkin and, uh, Sturkin and Sorokin, so Carter Hart might not even have played his best hockey yet, and you're gonna trade him to enter the rebuild. That's why he's not too high on this list. Again, he does have one year left, so maybe you do trade him instead of giving him a mega deal. But I'm, I don't, I don't really love it. A guy that I like for the Flyers to trade more though is Travis Konecny. Travis Konecny this year career year. I gotta slow down. Am I talking too fast? Let me know in the chat. But uh, I think that's one thing I gotta work on. But Travis Konecny, 31 goals. 30 assists and 60 games this year. He has two years left at $5.5 million. He is 26 years old. And obviously, with the forward, you usually hit your peak earlier than talking about with Carter Hart as a 25 year old, like goalies peak later. So when you look at Travis Konechny, this might be last year might have been the best version of Travis Konechny we'll ever see, considering the Flyers are going to be not that good for another two years. And after another two years, are you going to pay him? At 28 years old, some big contract. While your entire t- the rest of your core, Matt Vay-Michkov, Gauthier, are all very young. Are you going to give Travis Konechny some some big deal at 28 years old? That's only going to hurt your team four years into it. So I think looking into Travis Konechny is a really good idea. While his value is the highest, Carter Hart's value, obviously his first two in, first two years in the league were the highest. It's high right now, but I c- I could see it getting higher. Travis Konechny with two years left at 5.5 million dollars. Coming off a 40-40 pace season, I don't think his trade value is ever going to be higher. So I think trading him does make a lot of sense. It opens up the ice for some of your young guys to get more run, like a Noah Cates, like an Owen Tippett, like a Morgan Frost. They're not that much younger than a Travis Konechny. But looking at it, I think if you did trade him at the deadline this year, you would get a package... Similar to what they got with Claude Giroux, which was Owen Tippett, a young guy that immediately stepped up and scored 27 goals the following season in a first-round pick. So I think if you got an offer like that, you really would have to look at it if you're the Philadelphia Flyers. Obviously, Claude Giroux was older. He wasn't going to resign. But Travis Konechny, strike all the irons hot. And the other thing with them is they have so much salary cap space. If they half-retained Travis Konechny and someone got him for two years at 2.75 mil cap hit – we could, we could be talking about a first, a second, and a high-level prospect. For that elite, for a guy that can potentially give you 40 and 40 for 2.75, uh, Danny Breer has eaten a lot of money and done a lot of rebuild trades, so ownership appears to be willing to do it. And if they did it with Travis Konechny, the return would be nuts. Moving on, Mikel Backlund, very weird case. This guy was looked at as the future captain. Like, in May, like, he was like, oh, Mikel Backlund's easily going to be the captain after he resigns signs an extension. News comes out that he, he might want out. He might want out, and considering he's 34 years old with one year left on his deal, as long as the Flames aren't safely in a playoff spot. I have two other guys on this list, so the same thing applies for them. But as long as the Flames aren't safely in a playoff spot... I think you have to really look at trading him because, again, he's 34 years old. Even if you did re-sign him, he could fall off at any point. I know he is selkie level defensively, but if the Flames aren't that good, you probably dump him. You just get a first-round pick, do a little retool. You already traded Tyler Toffoli, so it's not like Tyler Toffoli for Sharon Govich in a third. So your team's already getting worse. You're already heading towards not a rebuild, but like a heavy retool. So Mikel Backlund might also be on the chopping block. Anthony Manta number six. Anthony Manta number six. He's making five point seven million dollars next year. He had twenty seven points in sixty seven games. This is more so. I think the capitals would dump him in a trade and get back like an actually like trade with like a rebuilding team and just use him as cap filler. or even it's possible if the capitals are out of it. Maybe a team takes a risk on him, he has a bounce back year and they double retain for Anthony Manta. I don't think that's that likely, but you look at Manta, no longer the player that he used to be, very expendable for the Capitals. So I could see him getting traded. Not too much there. Scott Lauden. Very interesting name, Scott Lauden. One of the, one of like just the ideal middle sixer and he signed for three more years at $3 million, 29 years old. I could see the Flyers keeping him only if they potentially make him captain. I've seen that been talked a lot about, which again, he's, he's a very high character guy, just a solid middle sixer, 43 points, 78 games this year, Some great play driver, solid defensively. So I think if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, you could actually get a first round pick for him just because teams are looking for that middle six glue guy. Like a, he's like a Walmart Zach Hyman before Zach Hyman had like 82 points in a season, if you know what I mean. But he signed for term, only 29 years old. He's going to be solid for the next three years value on that contract. So I could see the Flyers trading him. He's probably the most expendable piece for the Flyers over Konechny and Hart because those guys are younger. But I could definitely see Scott Lawton getting traded. Mark Scheifele. Similar to the Calgary Flames, this is really only the case if... Shifley come trade deadline doesn't have an extension, and the Jets aren't safely in a playoff spot or aren't close to one. I think you need to kind of trade him. He's still an elite center. He has 42 point, He had 42 goals last year. No one really talked about that. And you look at Mark Shifley He's been a very loyal to the franchise. I think he was their first draft pick ever. I want to say. I think that's correct. That's crazy. But um, yeah. Um, uh, he's he's still a pretty good center. A lot of teams would take him as their number two center. He'd be a fantastic number two center, even on a contender team, even though he's not that good defensively. So he still can get you probably again a Claude Giroux kind of return. And if he doesn't want to resign, it it, would be mutually beneficial for both parties. Another center at number three, Elias Lindholm. There's been a little bit of news on Elias Lindholm. Freeman said that while nothing is imminent, they're going to start talking about extension talks. But when you're the Calgary Flames, he's going to be 29 at the start of the season. Are you going to be willing, after giving Jonathan Huberto this massive deal and him falling off a cliff, are you going to give Elias Lindholm this big deal? I, I, I don't really like the idea of that, especially I think his, his best is probably behind him. Obviously, he dominated when he was with Goudreau and Kachuk. He had 40-40. Last year, just 22-40. So I think his best hockey is probably behind him, but like with Mark Scheifele, any team would take Elias Lindholm as their number 2 center, especially because he's very solid both ways you already dumped to Foley. I think the le- the Flames are probably heading towards some type of re- re- retool. It's almost inevitable at this point. And if they let Elias Lindholm walk instead of getting a first and a decent prospect for him, I think that's a massive failure on Craig Conroy's point. Uh, on Craig Conroy's docket, whatever. To fully trade was obviously bad, but I think for Elias Lentholm, a younger guy and a guy that's only making 4.8 next year, I think you get solid value for him. Moving on, another Calgary Flame at number two. Noah Hannafin has been pretty vocal that he just doesn't want, that he's not resigning. Like somebody like Elias Lentholm, Backlin, Shifley, it's like up in the air. Maybe they resign, maybe they don't. Noah Hannafin is very much pulling a Jacob Truba, if you remember Truba. Truba was way, way open. Like he he was kind of respectful in the sense that he. That summer, he was like, "Trade me now!" Like, I think he was an RFA, but he was like, "Get me the hell out of here!" Like, I'll I'll let you guys get something for me. I just want to go to America. Noah Hannifin seems to be going through the exact same thing, and it's his right to. You can call him soft, whatever, but he's almost essential that they need to trade because even again, unless the Flames are in like a lock for the second wild card or the second Pacific spot, which they won't, because the Oilers, Knights, and Kings exist. You need to trade him. He's still a very good 26-year-old top pair defenseman that's only making $4.9 million. He's going to be the best defenseman on the trademark come the trade deadline. You look at what the what the Boston Bruins had to give up for Hampus Lindholm. I believe that was a first and two seconds. You could get that for Noah, Noah Hannafin based on his track record. And yeah, Calgary Flames. Get your shit together. Trade all these guys. Probably should have traded him before the season started, but it is what it is. I guess they don't want to go through rebuild. And at number one, by far the best player that's going to be available for trade. I don't know if they're going to 1000% trade him, but it's, it's Connor Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck, one year left at $6.16 million. I personally think the Jets should just trade him because I, I know they can't really survive a retool, but you look at a Connor Hellebuck, rightfully so, he's going to want a carry Price, Sergei Bobrovsky, eight year. Near 10 million, especially with the salary cap going up, near 10 million dollar contract, he's entitled to that. And if I was a legit contender, I'd probably give it to him because he's going to be a top five goalie for the next three years, probably. So you look at Connor Hellebuck, the Jets again, unless they're in a central central spot and safely in one. I think you need to get rid of him. If Shevelday off somehow lets Connor Hellebuck walk to free agency after getting literally nothing for him, that's one of the biggest collapses of all time. That's a John Tavares. Maybe not that bad. His forwards are more valuable, but that is a fireable offense. If they do not get anything for Connor Hellebuck. Like a like worst case scenario is they miss the playoffs by a couple points. They just get losing five games in the first round and Connor Hellbuck walks because it's been pretty vocal at this point that he wants to win a Stanley Cup. He's at that stage in his career. He's going to be 31 next year that he doesn't really care. Obviously, he loves Winnipeg. He's going to love it forever, but he probably identifies that Winnipeg is not the spot for him to potentially win a Stanley Cup. So most likely, hopefully for the sake of the Jets, I think they should trade him. And actually get a solid return for him. And you look at it, the, the LA Kings, although that was for Gavakov in Corpus they were able to get a solid package back, a first round pick. I think Connor Hellebuck would fetch, if it's if a contender was desperate for a goalie, I think a first and a very very good prospect or a very very good young player is is a valid thing because getting a Connor Hellebuck, we saw with Sergei Bobrovsky in the playoffs this year, having that franchise stud goalie can really help you. And even if it is a rental deal, imagine like the New Jersey Devils get. Connor Hellebuck half retained and they give up Alexander Holtz in a first round pick. Like That would be scary in the playoffs. That would absolutely be scary. But I think Connor Hellebuck should be traded relatively soon. Definitely by the deadline, obviously. So this is my current board. This is definitely subject to change. And again, this isn't who's the most likely to. This is kind of just like a mix of how good they are and how likely it is that it happens. Connor Hellebuck, Noah Hannifin, Elias Lindholm, Mark Shifley, Scott Lauden, Anthony Manta, Mikel is it Michael Backlund? There's Mikel. I I I keep on fucking that up. But um, Travis Konechny, Hart, and William Neilander. I think it is a pretty solid list. Uh, Would I expect? I think like five or six of these guys probably get traded. I could see a Backlund extension happening because no one's giving him real money. Konechny, Hart, Neilander, kind of stretches, but definitely possible. Moving on. Now we got our giveaway. The giveaway it's up. One thousand one hundred and 74 people let me open up this tab find winners the moment you guys have all been waiting for optimal oh 23 seconds probably stealing all my data Someone said Victor Olofsson in the chat. I could see Buffalo trading him, but also I think they're going to be competitive. They're going to keep the team together. Okay. I guess I'm doing first. Just whoever popped up first is the first person. Let me take a picture of that. If any of you guys won in this chat, I got to make sure these guys follow the account too. A lot of people entered, but did not follow all the accounts necessary. But yeah. Um, let me go back to this. All right. Yeah, that was, that was this episode. I said it was going to be short. Ended up being 37 minutes. Thank you guys for watching. I'm really going to work on this week, trying to lock up some interviews that you guys are going to like from top, probably most, mostly prospects because NHL players are kind of hard to get a hold of, but we're going to try to get a lot of top prospects, maybe some coaches. I don't know, like shit like that. I'm reaching out to people, media people. I know a couple, so we're going to work on that. The show is still very much in their infancy. Feel free to DM me on Instagram. What do you think of it? I need to slow down my role. I'm talking way too fast, just spitting out info. But in the future, we're going to have some guests. We're going to have some interviews. These episodes are probably going to be like an hour. I'm going to do like 35 by myself and then maybe an interview after or just a full episode with the guest. But, yeah, let me know in the comments what do you guys think about this. Always feel free to DM me. And that's the second episode of The Mike Partner Show. If you won the contest, congrats. If not, there'll be more contests. <laughs> I, I, I always love to give back to you guys. But yeah, thank you guys for popping out.